Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true and is no lie, just as he has taught you, abide in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Erica. You may be seated. I am Ransom Kent. I'm the pastor here. I'm so thankful that you all have joined us, whether you're here in person or online. Uh, We continue in our series on 1 John. Um, I have to admit something to you. I am terrible at uh, picking uh, sermon titles. It's something I'm not very good at. I'll probably get better as time goes on. But usually the best title comes to me right about... Uh, 9.50. So um, we're going to change the title of this sermon. Are you ready for this? Okay. We're going to change the title of this sermon. Uh, We're going to call it Boring Ole Abiding. Boring Ole Abiding. And Ole is spelled O-L apostrophe. All right. Um, You'll see why here in a few moments. Uh, Because this sermon's going to be a snoozer. Um, (laughs) Okay. some of you are thinking, what's, what's new about that? Um, <laughs> wake up, Jonathan. Okay. Uh, so one thing I love about Reformed or covenantal theology is that it has the tenet, the foundational principle that all Scripture, all Scripture is relevant to all of God's people for all time. Um, I think as 21st century people, not just 21st century Christians, but 21st century people, we really look at life from an individualistic standpoint. And so we, what do we tend to do? We tend to make things about us. And I think we tend to do that with Scripture, too. When we read Scripture, at times we think, well, this must have to do exactly with me. And, well, you're sort of right about that. Um, but t- as much as today's Scripture is a timely message for us, it was also timely for the Christians in Asia Minor that received it first, Scripture, this scripture was, was relevant to them. What was happening in this scenario? Look at verse 19. It tells us what's going on. It says this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Um, what was going on? They had members of their church community who had adopted false teaching about Jesus Christ and they were, pro, pro, uh, excuse me, um, they were promoting that publicly. 
promoting false teaching publicly. Um, and they were sent out of the church because of that. Now, um, some of you might be thinking, well, I'm glad we don't have a lot of that going around, but I would uh, say that, that this topic is highly, highly relevant for us. I would say that there is at least as much false teaching in today's Western church culture as back then. I think the thing that's different is it's probably more subtle and more widely accepted. And what John is saying to these Christians in Asia Minor, he's also saying to us, and John is saying, we can't have that. We can't do that. And what's great is that John takes the time to remind us of the answer to false teaching in our church and in our hearts, probably our hearts first. And so John, again, he's, he's retracing the boundaries of what the Christian life is. He is teaching his, the disciples of Christ what, the, the epit, what epitomizes a follower of Christ. And this message for us today, I think, is indispensable. And then he, of course, thankfully ends with some very practical implications. Let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll jump into the text. Father in heaven, we are broken, needy people. And as we learned in Sunday school, reading from Gentle and Lowly, as we are reminded as we read scripture, we're reminded even by the words of John, you desire a relationship with us. And so you are here to bless us, to have grace and mercy upon us. And I pray that your word would seep down deep into our hearts this morning, that you would activate the truth-telling spirit that is here among us, that's inside of us as Christians, and that we would hear your word, and be called closer to you this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's start in the most comfortable place. Let's talk about Antichrist for a moment, okay? Um, Antichrist. So this word Antichrist was a word coined by John. John's the only one in the scriptures that uses it. Uh, but it's a concept that's described by both Paul and Jesus. Um, the basic, simple definition of Antichrist is one who is either against Christ or would like to replace Christ. Against or replace, that's what that word means. Um, and I think, again, this is an example of us trying to make it about us, but when we hear the phrase end times and we hear the phrase or the word antichrist, we tend to make this about us right now. Um, and so let's just talk about a couple different concepts of Antichrist. First of all, in the early church, there were some who believed Antichrist would have been this singular, all-powerful, evil incarnate character who would come and, and, and deceive the nations, and this would be a sign that was just before the coming of Jesus. That was certainly held by some, not by all. Um, some, some historical people who uh, attributed this title of the Antichrist to others, Athanasius, uh, you can look these names up later, later if you don't know who they are, Athanasius looked at Arius and he thought of him as the Antichrist. A lot of our Reformed fathers, John Calvin, looked at the Pope and thought of that, him as the Antichrist. But here in this passage, there is no definite article before end times or before Antichrist. So we have to kind of switch our brains from thinking about these ultimate kind of powerful singular things to bring into a more general understanding. Uh, when John talks here about an end times in verse 18, children, it is the last hour. 
as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So, many, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. It was as much the last hour for the Christians in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago as it is the last hour in the way that John's speaking about it to us now. The last hour is simply that time between Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit to God's church, and the return of Christ. We're in that phase. We're in that time. We're in the last time. And John is speaking about the concept of an antichrist, not necessarily the antichrist. And so what is an antichrist? A person or an idea that is against Jesus Christ and who he is and what that means is considered antichrist. That's what it is. That's what we're talking about. Now, as a quick pastoral note, how and when Jesus will return as Savior and King and Judge, these are important things to study. They're important things to understand as best we can. There's a lot of unknowns in that category of study. Um, but that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're not talking about end times this morning. Even though those words maybe bring us there, what John is talking about, what he's saying is, what's important is that Jesus is coming back He's coming back. We're in these times where we've, we have the Holy Spirit and the next big thing is Jesus Christ's return. And while we wait for Jesus, John is saying, God has made provision for us. God has made provision. We have everything we need to remain as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We have what we need. And so that brings us to the rest of the passage Verses 20 and 21 begin that, that the argument that John is making, we know the truth already. Look at verses 20 and 21. We have everything we need to remain faithful followers of Christ, and we know the truth. Starting in verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Think about these ancient Christians. They, by the time John is writing this letter, they almost certainly had the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Bible. They probably had a loose collection of some of the letters that the apostles had written and distributed. They didn't have this. They didn't have the whole Bible. But what John is saying to them is you have the truth. You have the basic knowledge of who Jesus is, what he has done, and what that means. The whole message of Christ was communicated. And so what John is saying here in verses 20 and 21 is really a mellowed out version of what Paul says to the Galatian church in Galatians 1. Uh, Galatians, you can write down this, uh, this passage, Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Here's Paul going off, all right? I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. And he's going to repeat it for emphasis. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is serious. You have what you need, Galatian church. John is serious. Hey, don't listen to these other things. You have what you need. God has given it to you. 
Paul mellows out too. Here's how he describes the same concept to his disciple Timothy at the end of his life. He says this in 2 Timothy 3. Just before we learn, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 is the famous verse we read just a couple weeks ago about what is scripture. But here's how Paul introduces that section. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. Continue in it. And have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We have what we need. We have what we need. We have the truth. And what's even greater than that is, uh, or in addition to that, we, we know how to apply the truth. Look at verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. John is, is making application. He's saying, you know the truth. You know that Jesus is, is one with the Father. You know that Jesus is the Christ. You know the truth about Jesus. Now let's apply it. Anybody, anything that contradicts the message of Jesus as the Christ is Antichrist is antichrist. What does Christ mean? It means the anointed one. It means the Messiah. It means the Savior, the only one. And so what does that truth demand of us, of every person? The fact of who Jesus is demands our recognition, our worship, our love, our obedience, our whole lives. And so as we apply that truth of who Jesus is and what that means, anything anything or anyone that doesn't give what Christ deserves is antichrist. Do you see the concept? We have what we need in the scriptures. We've been shown how to apply it. And then we arrive at verse 24. We get to the meat of what John is trying to say to us and to these disciples. Because we have what we need and we know how to apply it, we don't need something new. We don't need something new. The reality is, church, is that God has always been certain and faithful to give his people what they need to follow him up front. Up front. Let's go all the way back to Israel. The Israelites are in their second generation of wandering. We get to Deuteronomy 13, and here's Moses' message to them. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. They didn't need to find something new in the wilderness. They didn't need new gods. They didn't need to learn anything else. God gave them from the very beginning, not only the 10 commandments, what else did he give them to provide a way to follow him? He delivered them from Egypt first. He didn't give them these things to say, now when you accomplish it, we'll talk about deliverance. No, God came and brought Israel out. God came and gave them the 10 commandments. God made sure they had what they needed these, these Christians in Asia Minor had what they needed. Not only did they have the story of Jesus, they had the action of Jesus up front. Jesus didn't die after. 
He died before. He lived a life we were supposed to live. He died the death we were supposed to die, and he did it up front. He did it first. And so this provision that God gives, John is saying we have everything we need to remain faithful to God. I don't use sports analogies a lot. I do like sports, but I know that some people probably just don't care. Um, but this is, a good, this is a good story. So a few weeks ago, um, the Jets quarterback is a rookie. His name's Zach Wilson. And he threw four interceptions. For those of you that don't know, okay, an interception's when you throw the ball and the other team catches it, not good. And four of those is also not good, all right? It's not a good, not a good day of football for Zach Wilson. And in the press conference after the game, his coach was asked about his performance, and here's what the coach said. He said, Zach needs to learn that boring football is okay. Boring football is okay. What did the coach mean by that? What he meant was this rookie got into his head. He was trying to make big, fancy plays, and he was making mistakes all over the place. And so what he needed to learn was sometimes just the first down or halfway there is okay. And those of you that watch football, what do we know? The small plays, the boring plays are generally what beget the ability to get the big ones. Boring football is okay. And so imagine for us that John is our Christian life coach. That sounds really weird, but we're going to do it. What is his message to us? This is where the sermon title comes in. He's saying, boring old abiding is okay. Boring old abiding is okay. Look at verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. This word abide means to set up residence. Set up residence. If, you, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. What's John saying? Boring old abiding's okay. We don't need anything fancy. We don't need anything newfangled. God has given us what we need. I'm doing some study for a new thing we're going to be offering this summer called Summer School. Um, it's uh, basically accessible theological education. Um, but I've been reading some stuff from R.C. Sproul, and R.C. Sproul, in one of the books that I'm reading of his, in his introduction, says that theological, scholarly, uh, theological scholars, what have they been doing? They've been working with the same material for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, they've been working with the same stuff, and so we shouldn't expect major shifts in what we believe or, or, or what God is trying to tell us. But as the modern Christian, we live adjacent to the world, and what do we want so badly? I want this too. What do we want so badly? We want something new and exciting and explosive, something that, that realigns all of it in, in an instant. And so what do we do? We look for the newfangled. We look at political ideology. We look at social and cultural ideology. We try to marry the two, what we have in here and what's out there, and maybe we can find the secret to comfortably meld living, living in our world and living as a Christian. And if we can just figure out this new thing, it'll all work out. The reality is we jump very quickly to extra-biblical ideas as if we've squeezed every little bit of truth out of the Bible. Like, oh yeah, I know all this in here, but let's find something else. 
We don't need a new framework through which to understand God's word. And so John is saying, listen, regular, faithful intake of the truth that God has provided will beget ideas, new ideas to us. Those of you who've been in this gentle and lowly class, you, you've, some of you have experienced this. You've shared this with me. We're not studying a, a, an extra biblical source. We're studying a book that's digging into the Bible on certain concepts. And I say boring, old, abiding, but those of you who are experiencing these new ideas that are coming from the same old Bible you've been reading your whole lives, you know it's not boring. When you see the new thing that God is showing you through the same old words you've read, it's mind-blowing. It can even be emotional. I didn't see it before. This is an experience that's described in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As we read the word of God, as we wait upon the spirit, the holy one with which, one, which we have been anointed, we're gonna have those moments where we're like, my goodness, I've read this a thousand times and this is new to me, God. Thank you. And John, because he is a pastor that is characterized by loving assurance, gives us verse 25 to punctuate this truth. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. As we commit ourselves, as we abide in the truth, as we commit ourselves to what God has given us that is sufficient, we remember what? That God's grace, his mercy, his love, it's the only thing that will last. It's eternal. I was thinking as I read this, the passage from Isaiah, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God lasts how long? <laughs> Forever. Forever. And so then John gets to the point. Verse 26 and 27. Verse 26 says this, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. As we apply these truths that we have what we need, we know how to apply it, and we don't need something new, what should we be careful of? John wants us to be aware that we need to be careful of distraction and deception. We need to be careful and aware. We live in an age of deception, an age of deception. Satan knows what we like, and he knows that we are sponges. He knows that we like to soak up everything we see in here and incorporate it into our lives. <clears throat> and so eventually, church, what we abide in, where we set up our residence, what we are taking in for information is going to reflect in our beliefs and our choices. John knows this. And John is giving us the remedy. Abide in the truth. I have bad news for us. I have bad news. The world, the world cannot offer any new perspectives. It can't. It doesn't have the ability. The world has problems. It doesn't have the ability to solve them. It doesn't have the ability to solve them. And so what we don't need to do is marry these worldly hypotheses with Scripture. It's ineffective. The world is a poor teacher. 
their values, their attitudes, their ideologies offer nothing of value to God's word. They just don't. That's bad news. Because <laughs> guess what? All of us have something in our belief system that has come from the world. Their presuppositions, the very foundation of where their thinking comes from, are antichrists. They're opposite of what the Bible is teaching. The good news, though, is that we are anointed, as we learn in verse 27, with a truth-teaching spirit. Look at verse 27. So he's writing because people are trying to deceive us, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you present tense, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Remember, God does not leave us in the dark. He gives us what we need, and it's ours already up front. <laughs> God refines our spirit and our minds by the power of the spirit through abiding in his word and in his truth. I was talking with Steve this morning, the same spirit that hovered over the waters at the creation of the world, the same spirit that came down at Christ's baptism, the same spirit that, that Jesus leaned into to fight his flesh is that same spirit that lives in us. It's in us. It's not a, like a lesser cut down, uh, a diluted spirit. It's that one. And John is saying, listen, he teaches us. He teaches us the truth. In a sense, the spirit gives us the operating system through which we have to face the challenges of our life. I like how Peter puts it in 2 Peter. He says this, his divine power speaking of the Spirit, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We have what we need. And so what do we need? What do we need to do now? We need to know God more, commit ourselves to his word. There's nothing tricky here. There's no secret recipe what is he saying? He's saying to avoid deception and distraction by the world, abide in the truth of God. And so let's put it in plain words. Read the word of God and read it regularly. Nothing replaces our being in the word. Nothing replaces us personally hearing from our Father. Nothing replaces sitting under the tutelage of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize it's actually unhealthy to only listen to pastors preach? And I'm a pastor, so I know. It's unhealthy to only receive secondhand. We have the raw material and we have the teacher of the Spirit in our hearts if we know Jesus Christ. So I want to just close with what I hope is a practical challenge. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of three, or five, three to five people, three or five, not four, okay, three to five, three to five people in your life, same gender, and I want you to get together with them and I want you to pick a date at least a month out. 
Pick a date on your calendar at least a month out, and I want you to pick a book of the Bible that you can read in that amount of time. So I, I would say a month and, and pick something a little shorter for your first time. And what I want you to do is on your own, read that book. Read that book of the Bible. Read it. Just read it. Read as many times as you want. You don't need a, a formal study book or, or something, a commentary. Just read the word prayerfully. And then at that date that you set, get together and talk about what God taught you. You don't have to cover everything. It doesn't have to be structured. It doesn't have to be formal. You can even have food and drink if you want. You can play video games after. Whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's, if you do this thing, you're going to find it to be refreshing. Why? Because we are going to be interacting with the thing we need that God has provided, and you're doing it in community. That's what it looks like to set up residence in the Word of God. And so as we approach the Lord's table this morning, I want to remind us that we have what we need not because we're sufficient or because we're smart or because we're Presbyterian or Reformed, none of those things. We have what we need because God simply has given it to us. And the Lord's Supper is something that God uses to draw us back to the very source. Draw us back to the source. The Trinity is not, this is sometimes what we think, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. No, the, the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that is the source. These words would have no power if it weren't for the Trinitarian thing behind it. And so this morning, what is God doing? He's saying, remember what Christ has done. Remember the plan that I have to save you. Remember that the Spirit is in you. And he's drawing us back to the Lord's Supper this morning. Do this in remembrance of me. And so this morning, if you are a sinner, you know it. If you recognize that that is true about you, you recognize that Jesus has given you everything you needed, and he gave it up front. No deposit needed. He gave it freely of his love and his mercy. You recognize that. You accept that. You've confessed publicly. I believe in Jesus. You've been baptized. You're called this morning to be renewed at the source. It's not the bread and the wine. It's Jesus. He's the source. For those of you this morning that that don't believe these things, or maybe there's something in your life that you're saying, no, I'd prefer this other thing to my relationship with Jesus Christ. The scripture makes it clear, don't participate. It's not the time. And so this morning, I'd like us to just take a few short moments. Let's analyze where our hearts are at, and then we'll call forward the elders and we'll distribute the Lord's Supper as we draw to a close. Father in heaven, thank you for creating us in such a way that our greatest need is you. Thank you for seeing not only our condition, but coming to solve it through Jesus Christ, his life and his death and his resurrection and victory. And if you had ended it there, we'd still be hopeless and so 
you sent the Spirit, who is Christ, in us, into our hearts, to liven us, to draw us near, to teach us the truth. Praise your name that you gave us what we need. I pray now in thanksgiving and gratitude for who you are and what you have done and what you have given us that we would begin the process in our hearts of expelling Antichrist. Anything that does not give you glory, anything that does not give you recognition of who you are, may you day by day, minute by minute, prayerfully and mercifully and graciously expel it from our hearts. We have what we need. And so we come once again at this table to receive grace at the very source, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray, amen.